Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The following episode contains discussion of suicide and child loss that some listeners might find upsetting. So please do take care as you listen. For most people, university is their first real foray into the wider world, a chance to look beyond the boundaries of what they were told they could be and find out who they truly are. It can be the first step on a journey to a specific career or simply the chance to play around with new ideas, figure out how to become an adult, which for me is still a work in progress. For some people, though, it's also the chance to leave behind the past and other people's impressions of them. Whoever they were known as in high school, the weird kid, the nerd, the popular overachiever, or just an average nobody. All these things can be completely erased to make room for the person they want to be. In the autumn of 2008, when she was 20 years old, Samantha Cook's began that journey of reinvention, enrolling at the University of York in the north of England to start a degree in occupational therapy. School had been difficult, but her future looked bright. Going to university gave her a chance to do something she really loved and start a whole new life. But things didn't quite go according to plan. If her first year of university had turned out differently... Perhaps she would have left York with a degree in occupational therapy, a new group of friends and an exciting future to look forward to. But less than a year after starting university, Samantha experienced a tragedy that changed the trajectory of her whole life. I'm Sue Perkins. And I'm Kat Denkinson. And you're listening to Carrie Jade Does Not Exist, a podcast about how one woman who took on over six different identities infiltrated the lives of vulnerable people, lied her way into gaining their trust, and built up a picture-perfect persona, until she got tangled up in her own web of lies. 24-year-old Samantha Cooks from Meal Brace was last seen on Saturday the 21st of September. Barrister Sarah McKechnie for the CFA said the mother, who is a British citizen, had travelled to Ireland on a false ID to escape social services in the UK. She was well known for being a compulsive liar. She would always get found out, cry, beg forgiveness. And being slightly more naive in those days, I would do so. This is episode four, The Mother. So we've heard all about the different personas Samantha took on. Lucy the therapist, Claudia the Facebook user, Carrie Jade the activist, Lucy the au pair, and Rebecca the autism specialist. But what about the real person behind those personas? How did her life begin? Well, Samantha Cooks was born in the UK in 1988 and she grew up in Gloucestershire with her parents and younger brother. The Cooks were a pretty average family and according to those who knew them, they seemed happy. 
I suppose my first question would be, do we know if Samantha had any friends? Was she sociable? She did have friends. An old friend of Samantha's who we're calling Jack to protect his identity messaged me on Twitter to chat about her school days. Now, we've changed his name and his words are spoken by an actor here to protect his privacy. I knew her as Samantha. She was born in Abbeymead in Gloucester and has a November birthday. She was at Denmark School in Gloucester and worked part-time at a bookshop in Cheltenham, then at M&S in Gloucester, before heading off to York Uni. Jack said that at some point in Samantha's teens, her parents got divorced and she and her mother moved to Shropshire, where they lived with the mother's new husband and his two sons. Now, these sons were significantly older than Samantha, so they didn't really have a lot to do with each other. Jack also told me that when Samantha hit adolescence, she started to get a reputation for being a liar. Right, okay. So I think a lot of people had that one kid, you know, they went to school with who told tall tales. There was the kid who claimed their uncle was the manager of the England squad or something. I think that was actually a line I came out with once. It perhaps comes from boasting or trying to make yourself feel better or bigger than perhaps you feel inside. I mean, there's lots of reasons she might have done it. And she's at this point, she's a child, so I think... You know, it beholds us to be empathetic. Absolutely. And yeah, in Samantha's classes, that was her role. She was well known for being a compulsive liar. Never anything for financial gain. It was lies about her mum having cancer or her having been seriously ill in the past. She also claimed that she'd been force-fed, that she had anorexia, and that she lied about being pregnant and miscarrying. She'd always get found out, cry, beg forgiveness... And being slightly more naive in those days, I would do so. These aren't easy lies. I mean, they're not, they're not white lies. They're not, they're not confections. These are worrying. And they're all, they're all centred around illness, which is interesting in terms of, you know, what, we've, what we know about her, her later personas. What did Samantha's mum say about all this? Well, she told him that anything which seems far-fetched probably is. So her parents knew then, basically. They knew that, that, that Samantha was a fantasist. Did they get her any help? Did there, was there an intervention? Well, they were aware of her behaviour, but when I actually reached out to Samantha's mum, she made it pretty clear that she wasn't going to be talking to the press. They wanted nothing to do with it. So I don't actually know if they sought help for her as a child or not. I actually heard from another family member that Samantha's parents had trouble with her, though, so it was clearly a problem for them as well as Samantha's friends. So we know about Jack, but did, did she have many friends outside of Jack? She had a few. Um, Jack actually sent me photographs from when Samantha would have been around 18 and in sixth form, and it looks like she had at least three or four friends who she seemed pretty close with. I mean, it's, it's strange for me, you know, we've been discussing this person over the course of three previous episodes. This is the first time I've seen her. In every photo, she's smiling. Often her eyes are covered with sunglasses, but she's, she looks like a rather nondescript bubbly, cheerful, average girl. You know, there's nothing remarkable there. And I don't mean that in a dismissive way. I'm sure the same can be said about childhood photos of me, but there's certainly... It's weird, isn't it? You you expect there to be some sort of visual cue, some sort of warning, and there isn't. She just looks like a thoroughly normal kid out and about and having a nice time. No, she absolutely does. And I think it is natural to expect something, there to be some sort of tell or something in the way she's standing, but there really isn't. She just looks like a completely normal teenager. I mean, the last of the pictures there shows her in a bar in Germany with two of her female friends. And they've got these matching T-shirts that say, good girls go to heaven, bad girls go to Berlin, because teenage humour. And it looks like they're having a pretty fun night at that point. You know, they seem to be having a really good time together. 
I mean, Berlin's a party town and that's why I love it. But did she go there with anyone? Was she seeing anyone at the time? Any romantic interest? Boyfriend, girlfriend? Well, back then she was actually in a relationship with a lad called Liam. That's the fiancé she told Bonnie about in the last episode. Except Liam did not have motor neuron disease, was never her fiancé, and thankfully he's still very much alive. Oh, man. Well, I'm delighted for Liam that he's still with us. That's my first boss, of course. I'm very, very glad Liam is, much, is very much alive. But there's nowhere... You, you get to a point that, that, that she's gone from this smiling girl in the photos and, and we know she becomes somebody who's prepared to manufacture lies not only about her mother being sick, but about her ex-boyfriend, her fiancé, killing himself. Very, very serious. The lies are pernicious. Very, very twisted. Very dark. They absolutely are, and from my search, I never found out much about Liam. I couldn't get in contact with him. But surprisingly, Jack actually sent me a screenshot he'd taken of a website that Samantha had created back when she was a teenager, just before she went to uni, in fact. And she'd used it to create a wedding list for herself and Liam. Ah, OK. You said they never got engaged. That makes me think that this is the work of a fantasist. She's, she's creating this fantasy world. She absolutely is. I mean, the website she set up was one of those ones that lets you create a whole page to plan your day, tell people where you're going, what you're doing, have a gift list and so forth. And it also let people know who her bridesmaids would be. So she's planning a completely fictional wedding. She absolutely is. There was a whole thing of it. And according, interestingly, according to Samantha, at that point, it was going to be a Jewish wedding. And one of her bridesmaids was named Claudia Bromwin. Claudia then messaged this couple via Facebook, singing Samantha's praises and telling them that... Samantha has an incredible heart. She's given us a wonderful gift. Ah, Claudia Bromwell, of course, is the woman whose name she used that we heard in the last episode, who posed as a parent. That's right, the self-same Claudia Bromwell who left the review saying Samantha was a good surrogate, scamming an innocent couple out of more than £1,200. Right, OK, so if Claudia's listed as a bridesmaid... Is Claudia real or has she already established that fake persona at this young age? Well, just like the surrogacy and every other story we've heard so far, the wedding was a complete sham. Claudia wasn't her bridesmaid and did not exist. Liam wasn't Jewish and Samantha was absolutely not engaged to him. The whole thing was just a complete fantasy. Now, obviously I'm not a psychologist, but this kind of fantastical pretense surely comes from attention-seeking, but also coming from, well, two places maybe. Attention-seeking where perhaps she's been overlooked, she's moved, her parents have got divorced, she's now living with other kids who shouldn't have much to do with their older. So it's, look at me, I want my own identity. But at the same time, paradoxically, she gets her identity from being other people, from other identities, from fake personas. Pretty much, yeah. I mean, there is the angle of her wanting attention. She clearly wanted attention. She wanted people to notice her and to see who she thought she was. But that's what stage school's for. Why couldn't she have done that? I mean, this is, as we've discussed, it's very dark, the twisted stuff she's saying. It is. She never made a story where she was the hero. She was always a victim. A victim of an illness, a victim of something else. She never had a successful marriage. Her fiancé was always dying or whatever else. There's always a reason for people to pity her. And I think it's the pity that she wanted more than anything from what I've seen. I guess pity or sympathy, when you're in the full beams of that, it must be quite intoxicating because, you know, people rally around, they're empathetic and that was obviously the drug that she craved. I think so, because people also allow you to get away with so much more if you're not well or if you're sick. Something dreadful's happened, well, oh, they'll make an excuse for you. Yes, they'll make allowances for bad behaviour, for, for gaps in a CV, for strange kind of inconsistencies in a narrative. You'll be tired, you'll be upset, you'll be, yeah, distressed. 
So everything's made up. She's she's completely fabricated a wedding. She's also populated that wedding with made-up bridesmaids. Pretty much, yeah, completely. And at some point between high school and her going to university, Liam and Samantha actually split up. When she finally got to York, it was actually a chance for her to start over, to become literally whoever she wanted to be. But then she found out she was pregnant. I mean, this is a massive thing in anybody's life, of course, but I'm putting myself in her shoes. As you say, she's on the threshold of leaving university with the whole of her life ahead of her. And then there's this curveball. We've talked a lot about the pain she's caused. It feels like a good moment to just stop and think of the pain that she might be in and to be empathetic about her situation. Her future curtailed, possibly, by having to be an active parent and a single parent after what might have been a very traumatic and unwanted breakup. It must have been immense. I mean, for anybody starting university, you know, your whole life's ahead of you and suddenly your life is not only going down a different road, it's going down a very prescribed road. Mm. You can't have the fun you were going to have, perhaps. You can't necessarily make the friends you were going to make because now you're a mother before you're anything else. Yeah, you've barely got out of childhood yourself before you're in a maternal role and those sort of carefree years of your 20s sort of taken. To anyone listening who's, you know, a young parent, I certainly don't mean to imply that your life is over. I know that the road that it offers up is extraordinary, albeit exhausting. But we know that, you know, Samantha wanted to get her life started and this won't be, I imagine, something that she she thought would be on the horizon. I very much doubt it. I mean, one of the lies she told to Jack when they were in school was that she was pregnant a few times, that she miscarried a few times. So to actually have suddenly been pregnant, I'm not sure how she'd have even dealt with that, whether it would have been something she wanted or if the reality of it would have been too much. So what happened next? So Samantha actually left university and she went back to her parents' home three hours away in Shropshire, where she gave birth in 2008 to a daughter called Martha. By all accounts, she enjoyed motherhood and she was determined to go back to university once her daughter was old enough. Unfortunately, four months later, the unthinkable happened. In November 2008, Samantha woke up to feed her baby. She walked over to the crib, pulled back the covers and discovered that Martha had died. This is devastating. This is every mother's worst nightmare. This is incalculable horror and loss. Yeah, she must have been utterly traumatised. I can't imagine what she was going through. I mean, this tiny baby that she carried and loved and had just essentially gone in the time it took her to have a nap. And she was still really young herself. She was only just 20 years old. It must have been insanely hard for her to deal with. I mean, grief affects us all differently, but the loss of a child is absolutely profound. And it never really leaves you. You know, the thoughts of what might have been, the guilt over whether she could have done anything differently, all of those emotions, they must have haunted her night and day. It's something that you don't get over. You have to accommodate into your ongoing life. It's not something that therapy or or sort of any external ministrations will do much to curb because it's just, it's so potent, I imagine. You know, and I... I'm close with people who have gone through this and you come out the other side a completely different human being. There is no getting back to the before times. What's painfully interesting about this is 
that if I was writing this story as a work of fiction, this event would be the beginning of the fantastical. This would be the inciting incident that made Samantha create multiple personalities and stuff. But we already know that that started before the invention and, you know, the, the, the pretense. Let's focus for a second on baby Martha. Did it become clear what had happened to her? Well, this was interesting. It took a while. The, they had an inquest that lasted about five months and the coroner eventually confirmed that Martha had experienced sudden infant death syndrome or SIDS, more commonly known as cot death. I mean, running alongside the trauma of losing a child, there's, there's horrific stress of, of an inquest and, you know, legal bearings upon you, you know. Do we know what effect that had on Samantha? From what I can tell, she took the inquest itself as an accusation of sorts. Mm. I think she felt that it was putting her on trial as a mother. And ultimately the coroner's verdict that the cause of death had been SIDS rather than something Samantha had done, it came as a kind of vindication for her. Here's part of Samantha's statement. I stand shoulder to shoulder with the coroner and I did not murder my daughter. I pray she is at peace. And that was what was on the piece of paper that Bonnie found in the documents we heard about in the last episode. So awful as it is, she has spent her adolescence manufacturing trauma and bereavement. She's now experiencing that in real life. What happens to her next? Does she go back to university? She didn't. During the inquest, she remained living in Shropshire with her parents, and she later tried to go back to university and start her studies. But to do that, because it was occupational therapy, she needed the Criminal Records Bureau check. And for some reason, she chose not to complete the forms that she needed. That's interesting in itself. It is. There's nothing to show why she didn't do it. But because of that, they couldn't admit her. Do you think that she had possibly done something, to whatever extent, illegal? Honestly, I'm not sure. A part of me wonders if she was already thinking about new identities at the time and knew that having a legal record of hers may count against that, but I can't be sure at all, really. What I do know is that a couple of years later, she was obviously determined to move on with her life, so 2010-ish, she started a new relationship with a man whose identity we're not revealing to safeguard him and his children. And with this man, she had two more children, but lost custody of both. Okay, well, after the break, we'll return with a tale of what happened next in the story of Samantha Cooks. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. So correct me if I've, I've got this timeline wrong, but in 2010, so that's two years after Martha's death in 2008, Samantha started the fake surrogacy scam, which we heard about in the last episode. And because of the effect that Martha's death had on her, Samantha used that as mitigating evidence. She was given a suspended sentence. That's right, yeah. Didn't go to prison. Nope. And then a year later in 2012, Samantha became pregnant with her second child. Due to problems she was experiencing with her mental health at that point, however, the child's father was given sole custody of the baby. A year after that, in 2013, she was still in a relationship with this man when she became pregnant with her third child. But determined not to lose custody again this time, she fled the UK and went to Ireland. 24-year-old Samantha Cooks from Neil Brace was last seen on Saturday the 21st of September. She was reported missing on Saturday the 28th of September but has not actually been seen since exactly one week before that. Police inquiries have been going on since the moment she was reported missing, and it is now thought that Samantha may have made her way to Ireland. Speaking about Samantha's disappearance, Inspector Phil Shakechef said, We are becoming increasingly concerned for Samantha, as it is more than three weeks since she has been seen. Our extensive inquiries now lead us to believe Samantha has been in Ireland. More specifically, we believe she has been in Dublin and also a small village called Clane in County Kildare in recent times. So she's gone with her child at this point. Why Ireland? Why, why that specific place? So at that time, it was surprisingly common for parents evading social services in the UK to make their way to Ireland. They had a whole kind of underground railroad set up to get parents into a new life with their kids over the Irish Sea. I mean, it's... Deeply worrying in a way that you know that that you know Ireland is seen as somewhere where the most vulnerable, i.e., kids, can be taken with no consequences because the system, for whatever reason, is not picking it up, is not taking note or taking care. Getting social services involved in a child's life is seen as something that only happens when parents are, are abusive to their children. But actually, there's a number of different reasons for the government to intervene, are there not? There absolutely are. I mean, if a family's struggling for whatever reason. It's not always abuse, it can be if there's addiction problems or if poverty is a serious issue, then the state will sometimes step in to help and temporarily removing the kids can sometimes be a part of that. Obviously, they don't always get it right and if a family is trying their best to improve, the threat of having their kids taken away can actually lead them to flee the country just to keep their family together. And, and of course I understand that. Of course, you know, it's a blunt tool, is it not? You know, the law and... We, we don't really know what the specific situation was like with, with uh, Samantha, but is there anything we know about her life that makes her think that the social services might be trying to take the child? It's really important to say now, I think, that we don't know. There's nothing out there. The records are not in the public domain, and because her actual children are still very young, we probably wouldn't get the details anyway. But from my own research, I, mean, I found a lot of families who fled to Ireland that way actually had their cases go in their favour. 
the Irish government will basically look at their circumstances and often determine that it was in the best interests of both the parents and the child to keep everyone together. So that would effectively override the decisions made by UK social workers. And is that what happened to Samantha? It is not. Samantha fled to Ireland in the winter of 2013 and in January 2014 she gave birth. After having her child, she lived in a flat somewhere near County Dublin on the East Coast. There's not much information about the exact circumstances of her life back then, but legal documents show that Samantha appeared in Irish family court later in 2014, along with the father of her children, and it was determined that he would be given custody of her newborn baby. Right, well this is interesting because as you've said, oftentimes the Irish courts will override the UK social workers' edicts. Do we know any more? Well, there's a newspaper article from the time that this happened, which gives us a little more information. The High Court has cleared the way for the transfer to the UK of an Irish-born baby girl, whose mother had come to Ireland to escape social services in that jurisdiction. The court heard yesterday that the child was born at a private residence in Ireland in January of this year, to a mother who suffers from a number of psychological problems. Childcare proceedings had already been brought in respect of an older child. Last month, Mr Justice George Birmingham ruled that the child should be returned to the UK as it was in her best interests and because the UK was best placed to deal with her care. Barrister Sarah McKechnie for the CFA said the mother, who is a British citizen, had travelled to Ireland on a false ID to escape social services in the UK. She said the child was taken into care in Ireland some weeks after she was born and after a concerned neighbour had made representations to the authorities. Since being taken into care, she's been with a foster family. The woman's other child is currently being cared for in the UK by the children's father. There's so much in there to unpick. What I want to know is the child was born at a private residence. Is that is that Samantha's residence or is that a friend? Does she know somebody out there? Also, I'm interested in... The fact that her older child, they'd already gone through the courts there, so there was a precedent set. And of course, the false ID, which, as we know, will become something of a modus operandi. Let's lead with the end of that article, which is saying that the baby was taken away by Irish social services because one of the neighbours had concerns. That's right, yeah. The do we know Do we know what those were? We don't. Again, it's confidential information and I'm trying not to get into too much into details because the children are young, we need to respect yes, their course. privacy and just for safeguarding as well. So what we do know is that after the child was removed from Samantha's residence, Irish Social Services placed her with a foster family and used the intervening months to locate the child's father and set up the custody hearing. So was it this hearing that Samantha, when she was Lucy the au pair, this was the one that, that she was referring to in the paperwork that Bonnie found in the wardrobe? It is, and the dates are a really strong indicator of her emotional state at the time, because this is all 2014. She gave birth in the January, had permanently lost custody of the baby by August, and then in September she'd changed her name to Lucy and was working as Bonnie's au pair with this whole new life story. The time frame has really shocked me. This story, of course, is both a particle and a wave. You can feel deep, deep, deep deep empathy for the unimaginable trauma that Samantha has gone through, whilst also fury at the way that she's, she goes on to manipulate those who are equally vulnerable. You know, eight months, seven, eight months after giving birth, the child is not there with her, but it's the fact that a month later, she's a different person. And let's remember what Bonnie says about her. She's happy, she's 
incredibly, you know, uh, chirpy. She's connecting with the kids. We've heard the kids laughing with her. She's, this is disassociation on an extraordinary level. It is. It's absolutely immense. And obviously, we don't know exactly what was going through her head at the time, but it really does feel to me like she basically replaced the family she'd lost with the one that she was pairing for, with Bonnie's family. Which, of course, would be understandable, forgivable. I'd have huge empathy for her if she then didn't go on to twist and lie to the family. So the paperwork that Bonnie found is one of the clearest insights we've got into Samantha Cook's life. The desperation she was experiencing when she created that first fake identity of Lucy. The lies started out perhaps as a, as a harmless annoyance to teenage mates. But they've now taken on a life of their own and become what Samantha saw as a necessity to her continued existence. After leaving Bonnie's home in 2015... Samantha made her way to Glenageary, a suburb south of Dublin, Ireland. Then, she was still operating as an au pair and a therapist. From there, she fled over 200 kilometres south to a small town called Fermoy. There, she posed as an autism therapist, and when they found her out, Samantha fled to Southern Ireland. Samantha spent the last 10 years continually reinventing herself, building and rebuilding characters to get herself into positions where she could work with families and children. From the research I did for my Vice piece, none of her identities lasted much longer than a year, which is roughly how long it seems to take the people in these little communities to start talking and catch her out. Well, by the time she fled for more, she must have realised she couldn't any longer pose as a therapist. So... When she arrived in the small Irish town of Kersevine in County Kerry in 2019, she puts on a whole new mask. She becomes Carrie Jade Williams. Next time on Carrie Jade Does Not Exist. When we've looked at um, people who are very successful liars, what we see is that the traits and characteristics that make them good liars are the same traits and characteristics that make anyone believable, whether they're being honest or whether they're being dishonest. Your genetic test showed something, the neurologist had said. Unfortunately, you have something called Huntington's disease. People who are able to create plausible stories we find more believable, and so basically good storytellers tend to be more convincing liars. As the news seeped in, it wasn't death that frightened me, or even dying. It was being a burden, being irrelevant. If you knew Carrie, or indeed any of the other aliases she went by, and have a story to share, then email us at carriejadedoesnotexist at gmail.com. That's carriejadedoesnotexist, all lowercase, or one word, at gmail.com. Carrie Jade Does Not Exist is an Audio Always original production hosted by me, Sue Perkins. Catherine Denkinson reported the original story and wrote the series. It was produced by Rafaro Faith Mazarura and executive produced by Elsa Rochester. Craig Edmondson as the sound designer and Joe Meek the editor. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. 
Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> 